There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Hello, everyone. My name is El Ada, and I hope you'll come and join us as I'll be talking on Project Loving Myself with Sanaya. And we're going to be discussing how we as a community can help touch one million Filipino lives and help them overcome stress, anxiety, and depression by 2025. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Ever wondered, what is my purpose in life? What am I really here to do? It's a pretty loaded question. And if you did know the answer to that, then it would be so much easier to make decisions in your life because you would simply have to align them to your purpose. In a quote by I. Peterson, purpose is defined by how you use your experiences, talents, and passions to better the lives of those around you. The beauty of finding and knowing your purpose is the meaning it brings to your life. It feels like you are actually working towards something bigger, greater than yourself. A life that breaks from the routine and goes above and beyond the day-to-day actions of just getting things done. Leading a purpose-driven life rallies up all your inner resources. And when you can be of service to others as part of that larger purpose, well, that just tugs at your heartstrings. There is a sense of oneness, peace, and fulfillment that no kind of success in a regular job can replicate. On our show today is El Ada, who is leading the Fuel to Flourish movement, a collective of health experts developing educational awareness on behavioral health and social support and breaking stigmas through vulnerable testimonies. In collaboration with Mind You Mental Health Systems Organization, the mission is large and full of purpose. But I'll let Elle tell you more about it. Welcome to the show, Elle. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Sanaya. Well, I'm so happy to finally have you as well, Elle. We've been, you know, looking to make this 
Yeah, we wanted to make this work, but you got married, which is a yes. very important thing. So wedding bells got to go off right now because you have entered this whole new chapter. Thank you. Thank you so much. So happy to be in this chapter. I know it is really a wonderful place to be. Now, Elle, I want to talk a little bit about you and how you found yourself at the helm of this really big mission or purpose. So tell us a little bit about maybe the events that led up to it or what happened on your own journey to bring you here. Sure. Uh, so I was not on the path of mental health, far from it. I was raised as a musician, as a producer, as someone who worked in concerts. My, my grandmother was the Philippine National Artist for Music here in the Philippines. And so at a very, very early age, that was my career path. I didn't understand until later on when I actually got to a, a nervous breakdown that I was running my life based on the belief that my worth came from how much I could accomplish or how well I did for myself. Um, in the end, that breakdown was actually the best thing that could have happened for me. I was so unaware of the different patterns that and beliefs that was running my life rather than me running it for myself and doing the things that I genuinely, genuinely love. But I didn't know how to do those things because I really didn't know who I was. I put on a lot of masks and roles. Um, but when I, I had my breakdown, I had a group of social support groups that really lent me borrowed eyes, uh, allowed me to feel vulnerable enough to share all the things I like to keep behind masks. I had the support and then, of course, like the courage, the borrowed courage to be able to start working on myself, start understanding a little bit more the road of my workaholicism, if that's a word, uh, actually led me towards adrenal fatigue. I had a general anxiety disorder, I was diagnosed at a very late age with ADHD. I got dysbiosis as a result, which is I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but basically your whole metabolism is completely out of balance because the amount of stress in your nervous system over time. So I had to learn pretty early uh, a little bit about humility, but also it gave me an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the human mind and the body and how it works and how our behavior is well, around so many things. Yes. How old were you at that point when all of when this I had was that happening? Breakthrough? Yeah. Oh, that, this was with, like right smack at the beginning of the pandemic. My work stopped. And so all of the things that I had to cover up or to kind of distract myself from the truth, you know, Blaise Pascal says this thing is like the hardest thing for us to do is to sit quietly alone in a room and just be okay. And that's what was happening with me. I had nothing to prove or no vehicle to prove myself. So I went a little crazy. <laughs> My fiance and I dug deep on the rabbit hole of mental health, um, started understanding a little bit more about it. But I started developing a practice for myself and it really just started with five minutes a day, grounding down, understanding a little bit more about my mind, uh, doing training uh, for mental and emotional regulation because I couldn't control my, I would find myself at the bottom of a panic attack more often than not. Uh, it was very difficult for me to be able to regulate my thoughts and my emotions and over time and five minute practice became three hours. I started the practice in the beginning to just build resilience and some peace of mind. But that practice over time is what also helped to recondition my mind, but also my body, my nervous system, my metabolism. And then I started realizing and discovering different things, not just resilience and a little bit more peace of mind. I was discovering areas in my life that I was flourishing in as a result of my mind and my body being uh, well, my creativity, my relationships, how I viewed myself and the world around me, but also how I treated challenges as opportunities instead to grow and to contribute. And these are things I'd never even thought about before. And so 
got me to thinking that at the end of the day, we're all really capable of experiencing these elevated states, but we often don't trust ourselves or the process enough to continue on a practice to see the benefits because oftentimes the benefits are not there until months and months afterwards. So having a social support system is really what enabled me to continue on that process of resilience. So when we moved to Puerto Galera, my now husband and I, in the beginning, really just escaped to a place where we could find healing. And then we started inviting different practitioners from psychology to resilience, to happiness, to yoga, to breathing, to surgeons, to functional and integrative doctors to have an honest conversation about, you know, our health and our mental well-being and, and where we're at currently in the Philippines, especially at the rise of the pandemic. So we had all of these different practitioners come on the island. And originally, we were just going to shoot for this inspirational health and wellness documentary series that I shot called Born for This, which is now on Metro Channel. It was supposed to be more of an educational awareness thing. But we started speaking and sharing our stories and really anchoring down on vulnerability and the power of it. And one testimony after another, we all started kind of like opening up and giving ourselves permission to be real about the things that we go through. And even mental health professionals and surgeons and doctors, we don't realize are also experiencing this very real thing. And having an environment where people are lending confidence to one another really created a space for breakthroughs. And we weren't expecting it. But in those three days that we held those workshops, we discovered things. We just broke down crying, purging. And it occurred to me in that moment, you know, we can create those environments for breakthrough, not only when we gather with mental health professionals or practitioners, we can create that within our communities uh, simply by creating a space where we are intentional about lending one another a safe space to be authentic and real and vulnerable about what we're going through and how there's opportunity in that to not only support each other, but also be hold each other accountable to the practices and, and the intentions of how we want to move forward and using that space as an opportunity to also learn together because the more and more we understand about ourselves and our ability to, to harness and manage this instrument, the more we're able to really get the most out of our experiences, but also are able to share with others. I didn't realize how much a vulnerable story or a testimony of me screwing up would be so encouraging for other people. And so we started doing more of these workshops. And once we started doing it for uh, different organizations and people finally had a space to really share which was very, which is very, very disconcerting sometimes for people because it can be very uncomfortable to be so exposed. But if you have people who are voluntarily doing it and building that example, we noticed incredible, incredible breakthroughs, incredible pivots and shifts within companies and, and communities, wherein afterwards they're then able to have more psychological safety with their community, have more comfort in being vulnerable, which then allows them to play and take more chances and put themselves out there a little bit more. And having that space, I really do believe that human resilience at the core of it is largely dependent on our interpersonal connection and support. So this organization is really all about being able to create that environment or that culture within our own spheres of influence. Elle, talk to me about this idea of a support system. Yeah. You mentioned a little earlier I'm taking the conversation back a little bit, but you said what helped you was having the right support system. Mm. Okay. And then you talked about creating space for breakthroughs to happen, which is what was going on in Puerto Galera with yep. all the different practitioners coming in. 
So in both cases, we're talking about creating that space physically, emotionally, energetically, even mentally for us to kind of be vulnerable or for us to be honest and authentic and having the right support system of people that will hold you up when you feel like you want to fall down, right? Mm. So talk to me a little bit about that from your own experience and what you might have also observed happening in Portugalera with all these different workshops you were running. What was the role of that support system and the importance of it? Absolutely. I mean, human beings are wired for a need of love and belonging. It's a, it's a basic human need that we have and we amplify one another. And we, as we know how social circles work, we are influenced very heavily on our social environment and it influences not only our thoughts and our feelings, but also our biology. And having a social support system where it doesn't just have to be in your family, just a group of individuals that are aware of one, your authentic self that you can trust openly enough. It's hard to create out of scratch, but if there is a program and individuals who are willing to create that space and set that example, and that's why we have practitioners who really embody vulnerability by first sharing their stories, then gives people permission to do it themselves. So at the beginning of the workshops that we did, we always start with different testimonies from us as practitioners. My fiance are, at the time gave his story. And then people just started, you know, you work, it builds momentum and people start being a part of this atmosphere and you get so much more courage and it's borrowed than you would on your own. And having the different behavioral health practices that help prime our mental focus, our, our physical body, our breath, and different intentional questions that help us get to certain ideas about ourselves or realizations that we otherwise would not have discovered for ourselves, maybe how we grew up, or if there's a space of vulnerability and someone is willing enough to share about you know, their ego, then all of a sudden it's okay for me to be able to say, you know what? Me too. You know, I don't like this about myself, but I experience it and there's dissonance within me. But once everyone has permission to know that actually it's not just me, but it's a human experience we're all sharing, then all of a sudden there becomes power in the vulnerability that we share because it's one, a lot of the ways how we connect with one another is through love and enjoyment, but it's also through the pain and the suffering. And that's where great purpose comes. And when people are able to share their vulnerable stories and say, this is what I'm going through, what I've been through, what I intentionally practice, but what I still wrestle with, when I can share that and someone else takes a piece of that and it helps them with what they're going through, then there's a purpose to my pain. Then there's actually great reason to appreciate. And for me, I used to hate the fact that I was the prisoner of my own mind and my body. And I used to hate that, that I would even suffer and be vulnerable and be a people pleaser. I used to hate that about myself. I hated the fact that I was so reactive, but now it's something I can have such gratitude and appreciation for, but it is the channel through which I can communicate to people and people entrust themselves and their stories because I get it and I understand it and they're not alone in it. And I think once we can embrace that and not just be okay with it, but embrace the human experience we're going through as a means to share and help guide each other. Who is it? Mark Manson said, we're, at the end of the day, we're all just walking each other home. When you can get purpose, not just resilience, but purpose from that, then the whole process of finding yourself and finding what you're passionate about and learning and getting success becomes a sense of developing your own character 
and fulfillment, especially in the moments that challenge it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, El, one thing that came to me as you were talking is that somehow, and unfortunately it is this way, most people feel more comfortable more safe being vulnerable among a group of either strangers or yeah. a group of maybe in, in what you've created, you know, dedicated professionals yes. who are willing to hold that space. And most people are not able to kind of replicate or recreate that safe space in their life. They have to almost step out of it to allow themselves to be vulnerable. Hmm. That's true. What are your thoughts about that? Like, for someone who steps out, they go through all of this, they purge, they release, they share, but then ultimately they got to come back into their life where they might not feel that safe anymore. Absolutely. So how do they make that transition and still perhaps even hold space for themselves or, you know, find a way to stay safe within that, you know, more natural environment? Yeah. That's an excellent question. And I believe that it's courage. And courage is not something that we're just born with. It's not a talent. It's something that, well, it is a talent, but it's something that we develop. And when it was with me, you know, I felt I did not feel comfortable being vulnerable, especially around my family and friends, because those were the people I was trying to prove something to. And so right. my walls, my masks were very, very precious to me. And especially, you know, I, I couldn't talk to it about with my mother because my mother, you know, I have mommy issues. My mother was my living trigger point. And so having that space where you're really, you know, you're not going to be judged. And that's why having it in places where you don't really know everybody. If you look at even the Young Presidents Organization, they have forums, but they're not friends. They're not people, you become friends later on. But it's very important to establish an element of trust wherein people are free to share themselves. And eventually, if you can build that, which you can, there's different beautiful initiatives all around various different countries that do build that. And then when you can develop your own strength of building that vulnerability and that comfort, and not only comfort, really believe and be inspired by the value of it. What happened with me is over time, as I developed myself and really saw the proof in the pudding of what I was practicing with the people in my support group. And as I grew and as I became more congruent with my beliefs, then the more confidence I had that this was not something to be ashamed of, but this was something that I attributed a lot of my growth to. And that it was something that was meant to be shared. There is always an element of fear when it comes to being vulnerable, because it's vulnerability, it opens us up to judgment. But when we realize there is nothing to judge and there's no reason to judge, and those who have to judge are simply judging themselves, then you can kind of let that go. But that really is a process 
we don't get there. You know, it takes months, sometimes years to get there. But eventually that is how we get there. It looks like small, little, almost seemingly these little steps don't even do anything. Like you just keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up. And that's really how I felt in the beginning of my practice is like, I don't see how this is going to work. You know, like this is a mess. But over time, gosh, darn it, man. Like they were right. You just got it. It's these processes that we need to trust. And eventually courage does come through. And when I was finally able to bring that courage into my family, my family and my relationships changed like 360 degrees because I learned the value of vulnerability I could then speak to my mother openly and not just tell her how I was feeling, but empathize with how she must be feeling, where she must be going through and why things happened the way they did and why I received it in the way they did and where the miscommunication was. Then there was no more room for defense. If I could be the first to empathize with someone and not point any fingers because I was comfortable in my vulnerability, then my mother became or gave herself permission to do it on her own. Then we started having more conscious conversations. Then we started, you know, not picking at the little things or, and instead of actually just talk about it. That for me is, is the biggest value out of all of this is how it affects our relationships and realizing that that's actually the driving force of why we do any of these things in the first place. Like you said, the purpose is how we contribute to the spaces around us. And I really, really believe that starts with ourselves. So basically what you're saying is, we start off being defensive, proving ourselves, aggressive, you know, protecting ourselves. And it's all coming from a place of fear. Yes. And then we go through a process of kind of breaking it all down, showing our vulnerabilities. And it takes courage to get from there to the point where we start retreating. Like we're on the front line and then we start retreating back and we start just appreciating and recognizing who we are and accepting all those things that we rejected about ourselves yes, and learning to kind of love it and perhaps see it as a strength or turn it into a strength. Like you said, right? You talked about people pleasing as being something you hated about yourself. And then you recognize that that allowed people to confide in you and it allowed you to be there for them. Okay. And for them to feel comfortable with you. And so you started to see something that was negative as something that is a trait to be celebrated. And so what I'm getting from that is a lot of the things that we hate about ourselves or we reject about ourselves are really just things we are looking at the wrong way. You know, we're looking at it from a place of fear. But if we looked at it from a place of love and we saw how that trait, that quality made us who we are and how it can actually make a difference or it can contribute even further to the world around us in some way, then that in itself is that journey we're taking of courage. Mm. Absolutely. Right. That's beautifully said. I think one of the things that Tony Robbins says is like, we have to effectively blame even the things that we don't like for how it shapes who we want to be. And when we can treat ourselves with that light without judgment or without acting in fear and really accepting, I love that word is really acceptance for things the way that they are. I believe so much of our suffering really does not come from things, but our ideas that we have about how things should be or how the way it should, the expectation immediately overturns gratitude and appreciation. But if you can zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, we can effectively blame the things that we don't like for it pushing us to a threshold wherein we do something about it. But more importantly, how it allows us to see ourselves, but how it allows us to see other people. So then when we greet other people, It is no longer through the lens of judgment because I don't expect anything from you. 
Because if I can wholeheartedly accept myself, knowing all the crazy different voices that go on within myself, then I get your crazy. My crazy gets your crazy and (laughs) I take it all. It's like when my husband and I go through these little tiffs and understand, you know, like even the things that we get triggered with each other or the things that we, you know, like necessarily don't like about each other. I wouldn't trade it for the world because those are the the little human things that make him who he is and that make me who I am. But they're also driving us to work and continue to be more of ourselves. And we never arrive. No one ever arrives. I think the more that we can be gracious with one another about the process and whatever it looks like, then the more we have room to just enjoy and appreciate the process without having to control what it looks like or how we show up, let alone how other people do. I like how you kind of have highlighted that it's not really about changing the things about us, but it's changing how we look at it. You know, it's changing the perspective. And you talked about like expectations and the ideas we attach to things, but really it's about changing some of those and you just feel better about it. You Mm. feel happier. You can actually live with it and you can move forward. So I think that's really special and really important for people to understand what you were doing, what you started there that community, that support system, that group, how did that turn into Fuel to Flourish? So originally we we called it Fuel to Flourish because I believe that health is, especially mental health, isn't just the absence of disease. I believe it is presence of flourishing. And the fuel to that flourish is really our support system. It's our awareness. It's the practice, the actual daily choices, the actions that we take. And so when we were able to kind of test that framework on ourselves and not only have an amazing experience, but see the follow through of that experience and how we integrated. That's the main thing is like, we didn't want just an experience. We wanted integration. We wanted to carry over. And so many of us who are practitioners, who people would think, oh, you've already arrived, no such thing as the word, had broken through so many things that had had really stunted uh, us moving forward and how that affected us moving, like, months afterwards and seeing how that led us, we started bringing it into other workshops. And so we started bringing it to different communities. So now we're at the point where we're saying, okay, we're going to continue bringing this into communities. But at one point, we've just got to sit down and first see how does this work? How do we realistically have this implemented not only in communities, but how can they take away from this experience that's simple enough and effective enough that they know how to bring it into their own spheres of influence. So that's still the process that we're going through right now. And Fuel to Flourish is really ever evolving. And But the beautiful thing that I love about it is the group of practitioners that's involved from so many different fields that it's a wonderful place for us to kind of see where all those fields meet and how we're constantly learning, not just from one another, but especially from the people in that community. We learn so much about open, vulnerable sharing of what works and what doesn't. And the best or the the biggest driver really is when we get that message or that call from that person that says, you know, I finally was able to be seen. I feel like I was able to express myself and have the freedom to be heard. And I realized that's all I really needed. Then we can like be, okay, if I don't have to constantly struggle and strive to be this ideal version of myself and just be completely cool with whatever I am at this point, 
then I can enjoy the process. Then the process was never about me achieving a certain state. Then the process is really more about me becoming more of who I am. And that's not on any framework or any image I see. It's really who I innately am and realizing that that's more of a a day-to-day process. And it is because, you know, it's like you think about mental health and like, you have a great day or you arrive at so many beautiful realizations and then you go to sleep and then you wake up and it's like you got to start from scratch. But yeah. the more you realize how to really be okay with whatever the process looks like, I think that's where the richness of life really comes in. Because then whatever happens during those 24 hours, I can greet it with love. I can actually be grateful. There's a passage in um, scripture that actually says, I've learned to grow thankful of the thorn in my side, the thing that gnaws at me. I've learned to grow thankful for it because it reminds me to be humble. And so even throughout the day, the more we can be vulnerable and authentic and be okay and accept whatever is, then we learn to actually be grateful for the thorns in our sides, even the moments when I don't show up the way I want to, when I show up the opposite of the way I want to. It is in that moment of being aware of that and realizing I do have a choice to shift and move forward, then I don't have to be so dissatisfied when I screw it up because that contributes to how I move forward and realizing that's all part of the process. You cannot take away suffering and expect compassion to still be there. You cannot take away failure and expect growth to still be there. And the more that we tell these stories, the more we realize that there's nothing to really be afraid apart from doing nothing and never trying anything about. That's so beautifully said, Elle. Thank you. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the mission, the purpose of Fuel to Flourish. Tell me a little bit about what is that kind of driving factor that brings people together and pushes them forward? Absolutely. I don't have to say how deeply behind we are in the Philippines when it comes to mental health awareness, but not just awareness, you know, we were not equipped Uh, in our educational systems with the tools to deal with what we're dealing with. And so we get run by these experiences that we go through. So the main driver for us is really, how do we help a million Filipinos overcome stress and anxiety and depression by 2025? And it really is education and support, education, practice, and support. Wait, Elle, you have to repeat that again. Give me that number. Say it again. This is... is, um, this is the mission that we are supporting MindView with, MindView Mental Health Systems. You'll see them. They're in the show Born for This. They're the mental health organization that we're in collaboration with. And they're amazing. They're working out so many different mental health systems to make these practices and educational awareness not only affordable, but actually that, that people around the Philippines can even access it. And so the mission is to help one million Filipinos overcome stress, anxiety, and depression. And amazing. they are going about... We're going about this in every direction. There's no one way. Uh, The beautiful thing about MindView is it's rallying everyone, all the practitioners, all the people who are really bound to this same mission so that we all work on it simultaneously. So the way that Fuel to Flourish comes in with that is we only have X amount of psychologists in the country. There's only X amount of one-on-one time that we, but the more that we make it a culture, the more that we can start introducing this into the workplace, this awareness of not only how the mind and the body works, how stress and anxiety is, how we don't have to identify ourselves with what we're experiencing, but realizing 
are actually tools. There's beautiful tools that don't cost anything within how we control our focus, our breathing, our body. And, and you know this uh, for, for being the founder of Third Eye Wellness, you know, the amazing ability that human beings have over the instrument that we call our bodies and our minds and being able to not just teach those but to create a community where people are really incentivizing one another, encouraging one another, you know, like I'm a triathlete. And one of the best things about being in triathlon is the community. There is no way you can get anyone to do 140 miles just on their own. It's a group of people who are really just saying, yo, this is crazy. I know it's crazy, but let's do it anyway. And it's hard. And like, you're having a hard time. That's okay. I'm having a hard time too. It's all good. And then doing it anyway, having a community of people saying it's challenging, but still, how do we move about this? Then we're not alone in our problems. Then we're actually working with other people. And it's amazing how quickly that creates a ripple effect. And the great example would be my mother. You know, mindfulness and meditation was not something we did because we're Christian. And sometimes that's woo woo. And then eventually over more conversations of awareness and she started practicing it herself. My gosh, she's like, she got like several different certifications in, in her license to be a practitioner and teach people to go through these awareness and, and recovery programs. You don't know how sharing this experience is going to affect not only your sphere, but the sphere of the people who are part of it. And that's not our job to know. It's just our job to be a part of it in the very small way that we can. And I really do believe that's where our culture can change. It's within the inside out and how we choose to build these communities and be a part of helping others do the same. It's so inspiring. One million Filipinos by 2025 to be touched by this. And I think, I believe it too. I think it's completely achievable. As big as it sounds, it's completely achievable. And you know what? From one, it's going to be like 10 and then it's going to be 100 and then it's going to be 150. I mean, it's just going to skyrocket after that. You just need to get to that threshold number of 1 million. And yeah. then I bet you it's just going to like snowball from there. And the mental took care of itself. <laughs> exactly. You don't even have to do anything anymore at that point. You mentioned that, you know, the situation with mental health here in the Philippines right? Tell me a little bit more about your thoughts. You've been working with this. You know, you're at the grassroots level. You're literally working with communities with this. What have you seen? What has been sort of the areas of pushback or the resistance, the challenges with taking mental health awareness in the Philippines to that next level? Mm. One is the stigma that we have with mental health. We still, you speak to many people, not just people who are not as educated, even very educated people that say, I'm not seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I'm not doing that. Or my son's not doing that. It's a taboo thing. But I really do believe that you know, seeking help is not a weakness. I think it's wisdom. I gladly say I see a psychiatrist and a psychologist several times a year, but we have that stigma. And so it's very difficult to help people who do not want to be helped or who are in denial of something that is in need of help. The other thing is, of course, our poverty line. If you look at the hierarchy of Maslow's you know, human needs, and the first is obviously survival, food, shelter, security. If that lower level or base level of human needs is not met, it is very difficult for a person to think about mental health and love and belonging. And so that becomes an instant, like it's almost a threshold that's very difficult to get through. It's not impossible having those social support systems and places where people can go and really get help. 
But again, who's asking for help? And a lot of times our medical institution is very disjointed. If you look at the framework for mental health, it's actually not just thoughts. In other countries, we call it behavioral health. There's a whole ecosystem of not just our thoughts and our history, but also our biology and how we're eating. You know, we have a crazy crisis when it comes to the food that we're eating and that's creating so much dysbiosis or imbalance in the gut. And because of the gut brain axis, people, you know, I I feel it myself, even though I, I think I'm mentally well, but because my gut is not right, I have anxious thoughts streaming constant. If you don't have the skills to be able to not just recorrect your mind, but also your biology, it can be very, very difficult. And so much of our our medical communities are really very much disjointed. You've got someone who's dealing with cardiology, just focusing on the heart. Someone who's dealing with the digestion system is just a gastroenterologist, but they don't put two and two together. We think of heart and the gut or cholesterol, but we don't understand how stress is affecting all of that, how stress is actually impairing our natural function of the body because we don't have awareness, not just in the community, in our educational medical systems, it is very difficult to be able to disseminate that information. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Because we're not looking at it holistically. We're looking at it in individual parts. And we know the sum of the whole is not greater than the, wait, did I mess it up? The sum of the whole is not greater than its parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not greater than the whole, right? And so what we need to do is kind of look at all the connections between these different aspects of our life. Like you said, the medical community is disjointed. And most of our approach to how we look at the different challenges in our body or in our spaces is disjointed. We're not looking at that bigger picture. So I think it's so important that you call that out. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what was happening with me. I thought I was healthy. And, and all of a sudden, because I did not know how to regulate my stress, that's it. My body just started failing me. And, you know, if you don't know have the tools to see that with awareness, you start feeling like how the body feels. You start feeling weak. You start feeling not enough. You start feeling discouraged. Yeah. So those are some of the main um, struggle points that we have. Of course, there's still a lot of discrimination. So I think over time, may not, maybe not in this generation, maybe in several generations, we can see a significant change from resilience into flourishing. You know, El, when I started here in the Philippines, I came in around 2011. And I was already working in this industry, in this field back in Dubai. And I got to Manila And I noticed that the level of awareness was very different and the approach and the way people looked at, you know, all these different tools was, of course, very different from other countries. And so I found it challenging to find my niche or find the people who cared about these things. And I like how you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because it is the case that if you're struggling to put food on the table, you can barely get through the day. You don't have time to think about mental health. You almost don't even have the time to fall apart. Like you can't (laughs) let yourself fall apart because who's going to feed, you know, the family, 
right? So I found that there are just certain parts of the population that are not open and ready to consider this aspect of understanding and awareness. And I had to kind of find and navigate through, you know, the people that I started to come into contact with and figure out who is this relevant to, because it wasn't relevant to everybody. Okay. And over time, I've seen the shift. I think the pandemic sped things up where people who normally did not have anxiety, depression, and all these kinds of challenges like yourself, right? When everything ground to a halt, it was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? And people like thousands and millions of people suddenly did not know what to do with themselves. And then we have this whole global mental health crisis that ensued. And I think that the pandemic has been the opportunity to allow people who are living their lives almost blind, ignorant, avoiding this whole, you know, connection with themselves and asking questions like, am I happy? Is this the life I want? Is this my purpose? You know, they were just totally ignoring that because if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they had more important things on their mind, right? To fulfill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the pandemic was the great equalizer right? It put Mm. us all kind of on that same level. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how much you're struggling or how easy your life is. Everyone's suffering in some way, which is kind of beautiful. You know, it's like what we're talking about, you know, there is a lot of purpose to suffering if we choose it to be. I think this is kind of like the threshold that we needed to reach to come to a critical decision as a population to say, okay, this matters. Enough is enough. Let's, let's, let's yeah. do something about this. Let's, yeah, it matters. It's important. We can't live this way anymore. And then the rise of communities and missions and purposes. Mm. It's beautiful to see how things have come together and how communities, organizations, people like you are spearheading this kind of mission, you know, in places that would have never, never, never had this. So really honoring you and your entire team. I appreciate that. Thank you. How has the response been? From the participants? From the participants, from probably you're working with other organizations, Hmm. you're working on the level of the government. I know there's a lot happening. How is the response given that, you know, we are at a point where we're having this conversation. We're having Hmm. this conversation nationwide. We're having this conversation everywhere. How are people responding to this initiative, to this purpose that has gotten created? The response is, there is definitely a great interest. Sometimes it is still, there is resistance. We see this a lot in the groups that we work with at the beginning. You know, you still see people who are still kind of like waiting to, before they can kind of like let the walls kind of come up and, and share. That resistance, however, it does dissipate the more we get into practices together, the more the people become comfortable with sharing. When it comes to, I think the community, it's going to take some time. There's great receptivity. There's great interest, but I really believe the response isn't just about accepting the idea, but for people to actually implement it into their lives and to be moved to that state. I don't think we're there yet. I think there needs to be a lot more work done when it comes to people coming together and finding creative ways of creating programs. Because like what you said, there is no awareness or not that much awareness yet for certain behavioral health or holistic practices. And so people don't trust it enough. 
but there are ways of communicating to different spheres of people in a way that meets them where they're at. And I think the language in which we communicate the material is going to be really crucial because we have different communities here in the Philippines, all with different backgrounds and demographics. And uh, it's going to come from a place of really empathizing with how people are feeling and entering the conversation, not from a, an intellectual point of this is important, address this, practice this, but to meet them where they're at, have them feel seen. It's almost, there's an, a certain element of trust that needs to happen for p- people to really go down that direction when there's so much for resistance. Sure. And I think in order for that trust to happen, they need to know that the people who are providing care understand what they're going through. And I think trust is, it is a process. It is not something yes. that gets built we overnight. Yeah, You have to earn it. Yeah. yeah. Now, how does one get involved, participate, you know, become part of what you're offering both ways? I feel like there are practitioners who might want to lend their services, hmm. who might be listening in. And I'm sure there are people who want to know more about how they can get involved or they can participate. So tell us a little bit more about how this works. Absolutely. So if you want to get more involved with the mission as a whole, and really not just with Fuel to Flourish and work we do with communities, but the direction of MindU, I do recommend that you contact them through their MindU portal. You just have to visit their website. Uh, Actually, let me see. Yeah, visit their website. I think it's just mindyou.com or mindyou. Let me find that out right now. Yeah, mindyou.com. And then there's different ways to contact them if you're a practitioner, if you're someone who wants to support, if you're a philanthropist or an organization that wants to sponsor, if you want to be you know, part of the team, there's different ways to contact them. I do recommend you do that. If you are a behavioral health practitioner, not necessarily a psychologist, but someone who is learning more about belief systems um, and you've been certified as a life coach or as a practitioner of positive psychology and other different ways of grounding the breath. Sometimes we have breathing experts or um, resilience coaches uh, or meditation teachers. If you want to be more involved with Fuel to Flourish, I would suggest that you contact the Wellness Collective. The Wellness Collective is spearheaded actually by Sanaya as well as Christina Sang. So they are a collective of various different practitioners from all different types and shapes uh, of fields and modalities. And what Fuel to Flourish does is we work with the particular practitioners within the Wellness Collective that are relevant to the programs that we're working when it comes to mental health. But it's all within the same ecosystem. So whether you connect with the Wellness Collective or with MindU, you can also visit our Instagram or our Facebook uh, Fuel to Flourish community. But I think when it comes to being part of the actual movement moving forward, not just participating, then I recommend going through those channels so that we make sure that we're all part of the same ecosystem. I love the word you used. We're part of the same ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And it's really about making connections and really working together on so many different levels that allows us to take this mission, this purpose, this movement. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. You know, and we're stronger in numbers. So, you know, thank you for also pointing that out. Now, I always ask my guests, Elle, what is your project loving myself mantra or message that you would like to impart with our audience? So something you use for yourself, something you'd like to share with them. So I think mantras are very important to rewrite in your own words, in your own language. The words that I use in the morning, apart from other affirmations, is that first and foremost, regardless of what I see today, I will greet this day with love in my heart. 
because that is the kind of person I choose to be. Meaning I encourage, empower everyone to be led by their character and values rather than the results or the accomplishment. And I think so much of that, if we can continue to be congruent with how we are being and how we respond to things rather than how things turn out or the outcome. And when we can control more and focus more on how we're being, then that's enough. Because I really do believe if we continue the work, which is a lifetime's work, it is never a let me arrive. I realized so much. I spent so much time obsessing over my practice because I wanted to arrive at the point where I didn't suffer where I didn't struggle, where I felt like I was on top of things and I had some element of control. There is no such thing. Surrender is the sweetest taste of happiness because it is realizing it's not about control, but it's about how graciously we meet the day and the people around it with the most of ourselves. And I really believe our highest state of being is love. So choose the why that you have that is strong enough that you will be able to choose over our pride, over our ego, over what is convenient. And you will never fail because even in the failing, the growth will always point towards the road of love. Wow. Elle, that was just fantastic. I felt everything you said kind of like drop into my heart. You know, it just went right. And it was just the right words, the right energy with so much love. And I think that's something that's really emanated from today's conversation. Thank you so much for all that you do and for all the people that you're helping. And you know what? One million Filipinos by 2025. Okay. We're getting there. We're absolutely getting there. And everyone listening in, if you want to be part of that movement, you want to be part of that purpose, that mission, then definitely get in touch. Elle has mentioned a lot of different partners that you can communicate with. And of course, to follow the community, it's, I believe, fueltoflourish.community, right? At fueltoflourish.community on Instagram. I took a look at that as well. So join the movement. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so Elle. Much, yeah, I, I really appreciate everything that you do. I think it's wonderful at the end of the day for each of us to just take our stand and our microphone wherever our audience is and to continue just spreading the message. And I admire and I honor the movement that you've started and how you're choosing to really spread that awareness. Uh, so thank you so much for, for the honor of being part of it. Thank you. It is great to zoom out and see the bigger picture understanding what is happening all around us in our world. If you feel inspired by today's conversation, if you want to get involved, send me a DM and let me know. Drop me a like and give me a rating. A review will be super cool too. Hit the subscribe button so you know when a new episode drops and tag at Project Loving Myself Podcast and at Sanaya Gurnimal when you share your thoughts on what you heard on today's episode. The quote I leave you with today is, if you can't figure out your purpose, figure out your passion, for your passion will take you right to your purpose. And that is by Bishop T.D. Jakes. Don't forget, always remember, you are loved. Thank you for joining me on Project Loving Myself, the journey of self-love and self-discovery. This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered up by Pod Machine. 
The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.